Being around sports media and a fan of, oh, my NC State Wolfpack for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip have landed magic in Chicago, Michael in LA, and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former sports center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week of the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment for the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall. Legacies will change forever. New goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast. I'm Will Brinson, the host most of the time of this daily NFL. Oh, what's that? Oh, my God, it's a Tuesday. It's a Brady Quinn football show! I don't know that I can be that excited, with the exception of the fact that Breach is here. I'm excited about that. That's but the way the Browns looked last night, man, holy cow, that was that was tough to watch. The Browns are the Browns are as bad as my haircut right now. i got to tell you that. Your hair's not that bad. They were the hair's great. Your hair's not that bad. No, you're right. The Browns uh, were terrible again. John Breach actually filled in for me. Uh, I think took some pot shots uh, at me um, on the podcast. I went to see the band Luna, one of my favorite bands that uh, they're doing like a reunion tour. The show was killer. Very excited. Didn't miss much in terms of the game breach. Did I miss much in terms of the fun podcast? Well, I will say I knew you wouldn't listen because I was hosting because we have a rivalry going. We're always beefing. So we literally just took pot shots at you for 45 minutes. We said Brady was handsome once, and we talked about the game for 10 minutes because it was such a trash game that it wasn't even worth talking about. Hey, hey, Brady, did you hear about the uh, the Greg Rosenthal, Anthony Jeselnik read? Did anybody tell you about this? No, I don't know who those guys are. What, what, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> are you serious? What, Who? <laughs> I can't tell if you're joking or not. I don't, I don't know who's the, who those guys are. Okay. Well, they, uh, they have a podcast. We did an ad swap. They did a read for our podcast. We did one for theirs and they were like, Greg was going through it. And, uh, Anthony Jeselnik, who's a famous comedian was like, Oh, Brady Quinn. Famous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he pointed out that, uh, you were exceptionally handsome. Uh, but he said you were a little like so handsome that he was worried there might be something lurking. Like, well, I mean, look, I don't know who he is. You know, maybe he's one of those comedians that does like roasts every once in a while. Or that's how like he, he becomes famous. But, um, you know, sorry, man. I, 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 I mean, Kevin Hart, Chris Rock, you know, Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, like those guys I know. I don't, I'm not sure who. Yeah. I don't know. Which is hilarious because I'll be honest. I've heard of Jaselnik, but I didn't know like how he became famous. So I literally just pulled up his Wikipedia and Brady hits a home run with his guesses that. He literally shot the fame kind of writing for Jimmy Fallon, but writing for the Comedy Central roasts. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. Well, there yeah. you go. I mean, it, look, I think those things are hilarious, but at the same time, it's like, come on. Like, I feel like you're being sarcastic, but yet I feel like you're not being sarcastic. And you literally have no idea who this guy is. It's that and we're having a little bit of audio issues. So I'm having a really hard time hearing pretty much everyone today. So that might play a little bit of a role in it, too. OK, fair enough. Let's move on and talk some football. By the way, this show's on YouTube. Uh, if you want to see all of our handsomeness, Breach looking dapper in a blazer. I'm wearing a looking uh, really good shark- Breach. Way, way better I, than Brinson, who probably is in his what? boxers and a t-shirt right now. I'm wearing I heard a the shark- dress code. Sure. 
I I heard the dress code for the show was shirt and blazer. So I guess Brinson was the only one that didn't get the memo. Yeah, Reaches, I, I'm not wearing a shirt and blazer here. Um, my uh, my mother-in-law is in town, uh, and she was very impressed that I was going up to do a podcast with Brady. Tom Brady? No, she she. <laughs> it's Brady Quinn. Um, <laughs> yeah, your really? He's still doing that with you. Your, your father-in-law, not so much though, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. She's like, so you're gonna go do video in that shirt. Uh, if you have a question for Brady, maybe who's his favorite comedian, favorite moment from uh, college, anything, favorite moment from the pros, whatever you want, uh, leave a five-star review on Apple uh, Podcast with your question in the, the the review, and we will get it answered next week. Again, you can watch us on YouTube, youtube.com slash CBS Sports. Make sure to download, subscribe, all downloads. Uh, every time you download, an angel gets its wings. Uh, Sam Darnold has been cleared and will make the start on Sunday for the New York Jets. Um, Brady, are you surprised at how long he was out with mono? And do you think your boy Goose, Adam Gase, is bringing him back too quickly? Uh, no. I mean, look, he's got to get clearance from the doctors anyway, right? They only have to measure his spleen and make sure it's not inflamed. He's not at risk if he gets hit or something like that. So, um, I don't, every single, like around, like finals for our, our first semester, they, I would always, they'd always be like, oh yeah, your, your tonsils are infected. Like you may need to get them out. And then I'd go, you know, play the bowl game. Then afterwards I'd feel better. And they'd be like, yeah, you're fine. Next year, same thing. Senior year, same thing. Finally, someone goes, oh, by the way, you had mono. And I was like, go figure. I was like, that would make a lot more sense uh, with why I feel so tired and I feel like I'm sick right now all the time uh, than, than me just dealing with this every single year. So apparently I had mono at some point once. Handsome starting quarterback in college gets mono. Breaking news, right? Is that, well, yeah. so Brady's out there playing with an enlarged spleen. That's the that's what we're missing here. I mean, good thing that sure. thing ex- explode. Good boy. You good snuck guys. a so you so you snuck a multiple humble brags in there. Like, hey, I made out a bunch in college, and uh and I, had, I played toughed it out with an enlarged spleen. And uh, hey, hey, by the way, I've got my tonsils. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone brags about having tonsils. I, I will ask this though. Do, like once you have mono, do you never get rid of it? Is that, a, is that how that works? I, I've never. A, did chicken box work that way? <laughs> chicken box you get with, and if you don't get chicken pox as a kid, you can get shingles. Shingles. Later. Yeah. And I know chicken, that. Yeah. I, I had chicken pox as a kid, so I'm, I'm good on that front, but I, I wasn't sure. I never had. Should I not ask you guys about mono? Is that, is that what you guys are basically saying is you guys haven't had mono? So you're the last people I should ask. Uh, I'm kind of worried. Like I might get it, it this winter. I like I'm I, I don't think I've had it. This is and now I'm gonna have to like check my health every single day. Good God, Breach. Once you get once you get married, you're less likely to get mono. I hate to put yeah. it to you. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I'm being told by Debo that uh, as soon as you get mono, your symptoms go away, but you will always carry the virus that caused it. So there you go, Brady. There you go. Every every year at Christmas, Brady gets a little bit sadder because he's got a mono. A little bit sick. Yeah. A little bit sad. Um, Breach, Breach. Do you think that the um are the Jets going to be any good? Because like, if you look at right now, they're bad. I mean, they're really bad. They are one of the worst four teams in football. And it's hard not to at least consider that Adam Gase might be somewhere on the hot seat, even in his first year. Right, Breach? Uh, I, I don't think they're going to get any better. I know that we have Sam coming back. You just mentioned from Mono. But you lose weight during Mono. You're not as strong when you come back. And they're playing the Cowboys this weekend. I don't really give them a chance. Then they play the Patriots. This team... Could be going down to South Beach in Miami, 0-7 in the Adam Gase Bowl. And if Adam Gase loses the Dolphins at 0-7, they should fire him on the spot. Wow. 
Strong words from Breach. I like the fact that you joined us and you're bringing it in. And here's the thing. I wonder if there's less of a leash for him, you know, to struggle, if you will, in his first year as a head coach because they, they watched what Miami went through. I mean, they obviously saw it firsthand being in the same division and they don't want a reoccurrence of things not working out, right? That was a team that started off 10 and 6 his first year and only got worse. Yes, had issues at the quarterback position, injuries with Ryan Tannehill and all that, but you know, still he pan-picked Jay Cutler. That didn't work out. Uh, brought in Brock Osweiler, some other pieces. That really didn't work out either. So I wonder if because of his track record and because of his history, that plays into it too where maybe if this was the first time he was becoming a head coach, you'd have a little bit more leeway saying, look, he lost his quarterback for a few weeks. And then he lost his backup, and then they were playing with a third-string quarterback. So what do you expect was going to happen? I'm, and, and I'm one with thing, Go ahead. One thing is that it's almost like losing your backup isn't a great excuse anymore because what we've seen in New Orleans, what we've seen in Carolina, uh, what we've seen in Jacksonville, what Andrew Luck retired. So like ha- being down to your backup quarterback shouldn't be uh, necessarily a season-ending thing, but it feels like that's what it's been for the Jets, even yeah. though Darnold's only been out a couple weeks. And again, another hand-picked Adam Gase quarterback in Trevor Simeon, who I think we'd all agree, look, he can maybe get you through a game, but I don't even know if he's a good backup, at least as far as his skill set and his ability. So, you know, they probably would have been better off bringing someone in who's got a little bit more ability to push the ball down the field, more athleticism, something. But again, hand-picked by him because, you know, he, he knew his system and he felt like he could come in and operate it. The three teams I think are really interesting, and, and Sean Colleague, Sean Wagner put out a Hot Seat Rankings article, but the three teams with – Injury issues or uh, stuff they're battling that that I've that I really think are kind of interesting is, is one the Jets because like do you get a pass because your you know your second year quarterback got mono that's not like something you caused and it really did create an issue on the other hand the offenses look terrible without Sam Darnold and you wonder if he can actually come back and mask sort of the issue the the things that they battled two I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are fascinating with the we'll get to Mike Tomlin uh, maybe a little bit in the show here and then the other team is the Atlanta Falcons like. Dan Quinn, you know, maybe got a pass last year for injuries, but it doesn't feel like he's going to this year. So I'll be curious to see how ownership handles that. Look, if they win a bunch of games and Darnold looks good down the stretch, then it won't matter and Adam Gates will keep his job. But uh, if Darnold struggles and the Cowboys should be hungry to come out and prove that they're a better defensive team than they looked like against Green Bay, um, if Darnold struggles, it could be, start to be a little bit of a long season for uh, for old Adam Gates. Darius Leonard cleared to play. Missed three games after suffering concussion in week two. Brady, is the is the Colts defense good? Is it is... Uh, apparently? I mean, Matt Aberflus has done a tremendous job, and especially yeah. when you're able to shut down the Chiefs in their house. Granted, helped by the fact that Mahomes was was hampered with a little bit of an ankle injury. And look, I get it. Three kills not there. Sammy Watkins didn't play. Still, they put together a game plan that forced Patrick Mahomes, you know, out of the pocket at times the way they wanted him to to, to you know try to scramble out of the pocket. And, and limited some of their productivity. Think about the touchdown pass. I mean, he had to scramble around and create in order to make that happen. It didn't seem like there was anything there for them uh, based on this Andy Reid normal play, at least how it was designed. So give credit to Matt Eberflus, that defense, and in particular Justin Houston. And what a cool moment for him, kind of like a, a comeback opportunity into Arrowhead, have some big-time plays, in particular the fourth down stop uh, for the tackle for loss. So uh, I think the Colts you know, defense, even without Darius Leonard, uh, might be one to kind of keep an eye on as far as what this team does moving forward. Yeah, I thought uh the thing, if you would have told me the Colts were going to go 2-1 and one with Darius Leonard out, I wouldn't have been surprised at all because they were playing the Falcons, Raiders, and Chiefs. Uh, but there's no way I would have thought that their one of their two wins would have been against 
against the Chiefs. I would assume they beat the Falcons, they beat the Raiders, they lose the Chiefs. So the fact that they did get out of that three-game swing at 2-1, and one, uh, and now you have your best defensive player back, he's got a week to rest because they're going into a bye and and the Colts proved against Kansas City they're probably one of the top ten defenses in the NFL, especially when everybody's healthy because they didn't have their two starting safeties either. So, uh, you know, every week I feel like we're saying, are the Colts good enough to win the division? And every week I feel more convinced that they might be the best team in that division. I I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Colts won the division. Just you know, by DVOA, they're only at like twenty third overall. Houston is tenth overall and actually looked really good on offense. Um, I like to get my nerd stats in there, Brady. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. Thank you for incorporating the, the nerdiness and getting your DVOA in there. Thank God for that. You don't like advanced efficiency st- statistics? I feel like you would. If you just watch like- the film, yeah, like here's the problem is like we throw out these stats. <laughs> stop looking at spreadsheets. Stop looking at the box scores. Watch the tape. You'll be able to determine with your eyes the more tape you watch. Like this team's good. This team's not so good. You know, like just, just give it, I, I, like that's the thing is to me, it's cool. It's great. We figured out ways to kind of put in different categories. Just watch the film, watch the tape. You'll be smart enough to be able to figure that out. I mean, I do both. You can do both. You realize that, right? It's okay to do both. Like no, you don't have to look you, blindly you're, at you're tried, You You look blindly at some of those stats at times. It's I okay. Don't look blindly at it. anything. Well, when your hair gets in the way, it does. I, I will say that on our Super Friends podcast, if I had a drink every time one of you guys said DVOA, I would be blackout drunk by the to- end of every podcast. Thank you. Why are you sucking up to Brady? What is going on I, here? I'm I am not sucking up to Brady. I think that sometimes we use it probably more Too than much. we need to. Yeah. Yes. Use that that doesn't eyes. mean I, I don't think it's good. I just think that sometimes it's used as a crutch, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. That's why I like Pete, because Pete doesn't bring up those terms, you know? He's the only guy who says that we talk about the tape, talk about the plays, and we'll talk about football. Well, you know what? Watching the tape, you know what I like about uh, the Colts? Your boy, Quentin Nelson. He is nasty. Man. Uh, best le- left guard, best guard. I'll just overhaul either spot, left or right. Uh, best guard in football. I don't think it's really even that close. Um, but, man, he's dominant, and he, he's a ton center. I mean, that's the other thing you kind of come away from watch that game, you know, they physically beat them up up front and they weren't scared either. I mean, early on in that game, they were taking some shots downfield and you knew Frank Reich was kind of saying like, look, we realize this probably has the makings of a shootout. I would have sworn that game was going to be a game where you saw both teams maybe in the thirties, maybe encroaching into the forties with the potential of both offenses and maybe what I thought the defenses would be without Darius Leonard for the Colts and what the, the chiefs have been this year. Uh, but you know, they kind of didn't capitalize on some opportunities and, and ended up being a little bit lower scoring game than what I anticipated. But bottom line, still via the play calling, it definitely didn't seem like Frank Reich was scared. I think it's like something you can really appreciate considering everything you guys mentioned before. The fact that this wasn't plan A going into the season, like Andrew Luck retired. Jacoby Brissett's the dude now and he's playing phenomenal as there's their starting quarterback and there's no doubt. You know, they've got a shot of competing for this division. I, I still think Houston and, and Jacksonville are right there too and, and no idea what to make of Tennessee. I couldn't pick that game if I tried. Every week I, I tend to pick them to win. They lose. Every game I pick them to lose, they win. So I, maybe you guys they're, can help me out most, with that one. They're the most, no, it's, it's impossible. They're the most uneven team in the NFL. They don't, they don't, they don't like, they don't, they're not good in rock fights for whatever reason, but they can beat up. I, I, it's hard to figure out. Let me ask you about the Chiefs though, because I think it's really interesting that we saw last year three teams uh, go two and one against them. The Ravens lost in overtime with Lamar Jackson heavy running. The Seahawks beat the Chiefs. They ran the ball a bunch. The Chargers ran the ball effectively against the Chiefs and beat them. And then we saw Indy use the same sort of formula. 
I argued with Adam Azer today or yesterday at some point that I am, I'm not concerned about the Chiefs from a, like, I don't think they're going to fall off a cliff and be terrible, but I don't think Tyreek Hill coming back is going to magically fix the Chiefs. I mean, they have offensive line issues. Patrick Mahomes is banged, is, uh, is banged up with it, with the ankle injury. Um, you know, they, they don't have a running game right now. And, and Brady, they, they also are, you can kind of take away their possessions by utilizing that run heavy approach that the Colts did. And they've got the Packers, the Vikings, um, the Texans obviously up next, the, the, the Titans are going to, they're going to have to deal with a bunch of rushing teams. So I wonder, like, do you think the Chiefs might be in a little bit of trouble here? Yeah. I mean, okay. So we, we look at games and, and we kind of talk about game control sometimes. That's probably more of like a college football topic, but as far as like an identity of a team, you talked about some of the teams they'll be facing that are more running, run dominant teams. The interesting thing to me is that's just basically saying like, look, they're, they're trying to control the game in, in the way that suits them or, or fits for them. I think we look at the Chiefs in a different manner. They control the game because they try to put up points and they do it in a hurry. And, and then all of a sudden you realize you're down two scores or you're down a touchdown in a heartbeat and you start to feel the pressure of being able to need to meet or equate to what they're bringing from a production standpoint. So it gets you out of your comfort zone and it forces you to press a little bit. So maybe you are one of those running teams um, that, that feels like they need to throw the football more so than you're used to. So it's, it's, it's their same element of using kind of their strategy of game control, but they just do it a little bit more with a little more high-powered offense. I think if you look at the past two weeks now, we've seen teams as far as the Lions as well as the Colts implement similar strategies of running the football, playing good defense. And and with the absence of Tyreek Hill and as well as um, Sammy Watkins in, in particular like this past week, one of the things you notice is Travis Kelsey has worked into the game plan a lot more early in games. He's targeted more. He's, he's, he's got more receptions. Like as I'm watching, I'm thinking, okay, like it makes sense. You have openers, right? You have 15 plays that you rehearsed throughout the course of the week that you know you're going to run in the first two, maybe even three series depending on how far you get on that list and how much production you have with each one of those plays. And so obviously Travis Kelsey is going to be a part of those. Well, then it's like, all right, well, what happens? Because in the second half of games, they don't seem to be throwing the football as way as much. There's not as much directed towards him. Do you attribute that to like Andy Reid just forgetting about it? Or is it more of the adjustments they're making to what teams are doing against them? Go back and watch some of that Detroit game. You know, they're still able to get the ball to him every once in a while, but when he was in line as a tight end, they gave him the Antonio Gates treatment. It was two guys jamming him on the line of scrimmage, not letting him off the football, basically eliminating him from the game, especially in certain situations. Patricia learned that from Bill Belichick. And, and then you see similar strategies as far as how teams are bracketing him and how teams are playing him based on where he's at. So uh, I do think Tyree Kill back in this offense will help. Sammy Watkins would help. One, because they have things that you just can't teach, and that speed, and that threatens defenses, and they're very, very much well aware of it. But also because teams then can't focus so much on just Travis Kelsey if they're lacking in the run game, and obviously, you know, lacking with some of those explosive playmakers. Pringles played well with the opportunities he's gotten, but he's not the same player. Uh, the biggest concern, obviously, is the mobility of Mahomes, because they get so much productivity when things break down, because Mahomes is special like that. If he doesn't have the the ability to move around like that, especially with as bad as the offense is playing. Then it becomes a sitting duck, and, and that's a whole different story. Yeah, and they can't win if Patrick Mahomes is banged up, and I do agree with Brady. That is the biggest concern. Uh, the one thing that was interesting watching Travis Kelsey is getting beat up at, uh, on the line, off the line, is that he was getting frustrated. I mean, this one thing that didn't really get as big on, say, Twitter or maybe in the national spotlight as it probably should have is that he literally pushed Eric Bieniemy on the sideline during Sunday Night Football. 
So he just, whatever it was, his frustration just boiled over. He lost his cool. He went up to his offensive coordinator and pushed him. You know, like if Odell Beckham did that, we would be talking about that for three years straight. And so we saw Travis Kelsey do that. He's obviously getting frustrated. And I do think that Tyreek Hill coming back is going to open up a lot for that offense because if he starts drawing double teams, somebody's going to be open. The Chiefs go back. They start scoring. And as Brady just said, if if they jump out in front, that throws these running teams off their game because they start thinking we have to score in every possession. We can't necessarily stick this game plan of running all the time. Uh, but if these if the Chiefs can't stop the run, that's an issue. They've given up over 180 yards on the ground each of the past three games, the Ravens, the Lions, and the Colts. So uh, it's a lot to figure out. And I think once they get Tyreek back and as long as Mahomes' ankle is healthy, they'll be all right. You know what they could use if they uh... – they could probably use some ZipRecruiter because they need to get some bodies in on that uh, on that offensive line right now. You know who did use ZipRecruiter? Cafe Altura COO Dylan Miskowitz. When he needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, he fired up ZipRecruiter. He was having trouble finding qualified applicants, so he switched. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating. It's a feature that filters out his applicants. So we could find, so we could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective, effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our custom web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash pick. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash P-I-C-K. ZipRecruiter.com slash pick. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, we mentioned the Chiefs. They're a team that rates very highly in DVOA, but no one rates as high in DVOA as the 49ers? What, what, what? The 49ers are number one in DVOA. So before we get to the handshake gate, the stupidest controversy of the 2019 NFL season, Brady, I would ask you, are you buying the idea that the undefeated 49ers five weeks into the season are one of the best teams of football? Uh, I am, uh, waiting one more week because okay. I, I thought I was going to find the answer this past week with the Monday Night football game. And, and I had a lot of questions and we go into Monday Night football. And because of how poorly Cleveland played, uh, I came out with more questions still. Because <laughs> I thought Cleveland was going to be a competitive football team. I think they could still technically win nine, maybe ten games this year. Uh, but they've got to figure out some things and fix some things. Uh, but because they played so poorly, then it just kind of looks like, all right, did San Francisco just beat another bad football team? Uh, so I, I left with more questions. This week they have to go to, on the road to play the L.A. Rams. If they beat L.A. in L.A., uh, they're, they're, they're a good football team. They're what I think they are going to be. Uh, at least that's what it looks like. Or at the, at the very least, a tough matchup because of their defensive front. Some of their other pieces like Richard Sherman on defense. Uh, and offensively, Kyle Shanahan is one of the better offensive minds in the NFL. I don't think we give him enough, uh, enough credit for what he does to create space and get guys open, uh, different than a lot of other teams that have talent and they can just isolate guys, allow them to make plays. That's not the San Francisco 49ers, you know, uh, roster on offense. He's got to do unique things formationally with the play action pass, the boot game, 
and everything else that they do with their personnel in order to open some things up. So he's a special offensive mind. I don't think he gets enough credit for that uh, because they don't they haven't won enough games lately. But still, even being competitive with what he's dealt with with the quarterback injury last year with Garoppolo and then not having a quarterback two years ago when he first got the job, uh, to me kind of speaks volumes about you know how good of a coach he is and, and really the potential of this team in the NFC West this year. Breach, yeah, I was I mean, gonna ask you <laughs> the, we were trying to coordinate whether I was gonna ask Breach something or not. That's what happens when you have the, the video show going as well. Breach, I wanna ask you about Handshake Gate. This is your wheelhouse. Uh Richard Sherman, like I could see you, Breach, spending the evening Brady you talk about Brady watching tape? Breach is watching tape tonight, Brady. Tape of that handshake. Yeah. He's gonna dive in and watch the handshake gate tape. Um when you've got like we got Mike, Richard Sherman comes out after the game and tells Mike Silver of NFL.com, what's amazing and annoying was him not shaking hands at the beginning. That's some college bleat. It's ridiculous. College S, by the way. It's ridiculous. We're all trying to get psyched up, but shaking hands with your opponent, that's NFL etiquette. And when you pull Bush League stuff, that's disrespectful to the game. And believe me, that's going to get us fired up. Respect the game, Sherman continued. You can have rivals, but pay your respect in that moment, especially when you're young. He hasn't earned anything in this league. How many games has he won? He's acting like he was the MVP last year. If Patrick Mahomes did that, it would be one thing. But he would never do that because he has so much respect for the game. Breach, having watched hours and hours, deep dive Zap Ruder, or Dap Ruder, as Mina Kimes eloquently put it, um, what, uh, what did you come away with? Who's at fault here? Does Richard Sherman have a case? Or is he, uh, is he making a stink where he doesn't need to? Princeton, I spent three hours on Instagram looking at the Levi Stadium geotag, looking at every angle of the handshake uh, that was taken from that stadium last night. But I'm going to rewind real quick before I blame anyone. The very interesting thing here is that the story ran on NFL.com. As you said, Mike Silver wrote it. He got a great quote. But the one thing that I find fascinating is that someone at NFL.com, this is NFL media. They have access to all the footage in the NFL ever that someone didn't see that quote and say, hey, maybe we should pull video of that because someone there had access to pregame video and and we can either see if this actually happened. We can put that video in the story and add to it. And then if they would have done that and seen the video, they would have seen like, oh, this is weird because uh, they shook hands. So look, Brady has been on the field for a pregame handshake in the NFL. I have not. What I saw is Baker Mayfield shaking his hand. If Richard Sherman was mad because he didn't get a post coin toss handshake uh i'm not sure what the etiquette there but i think richard sherman is the guy in the wrong and if i was commissioner goodell i would suspend him for three plays for blowing this craziness out of proportion this is a controversy that should never started classic miscommunication okay Uh, (laughs) i do find the fact we've finally come to the crux of this issue right with handshake etiquette so you walk out there on the field right and you dap the guys up, you know, give them a little handshake, uh, you know, want to handshake, uh, handshake, uh, you know, what up? How you doing? How's the family? Blah, blah, blah. That's typical NFL etiquette, right? Then the coin toss goes, win or lose, depending on where you're at, you know, whatever that goes, which way you're going. If you're not taking the ball, you kind of get on your sides and then you handshake, uh, all right, stay safe. See you out there. Handshake, uh, all right. Yeah. Stay safe. All that. Yeah. So, so there's this like handshake before with like the love and then there's handshake after. And it's like weird because you have to think to yourself, like, why does there even need to be a handshake afterwards? Like, what's the point? Uh, I'm not even sure that it's like customary or policy to have the, the post coin toss handshake. That is what upset Richard Sherman though. Uh, I love Big Sherm. 
I, I actually think, you know, he's one of those guys that, again, a lot of people respect him. You're probably dapping him up, giving him some love, tell him to stay safe, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and he was probably taken back by that because most quarterbacks respect him. Most quarterbacks would have handled that differently. But Baker Mayfield's a guy who, you know, kind of rolls to a different beat of the drum, you know, and, and I think in this game, you know, it really didn't matter whether he gave him a handshake or not. And it was, it was funny kind of reading some of his comments because one of the things that kind of struck me as like, this is so 2019 is immediately when, when Richard Sherman made these accusations, people are like, what do you mean? Look after the game. He was shaking hands. It was like, well, no, you didn't really read what he said. What do you mean? Here's footage before the coin toss. He's like, well, he was talking about after the coin toss, you imbeciles. Like, can you not read anything anymore and then understand we don't have footage of him after the coin toss? That's what he's talking about. Either way, we are blowing this completely out of proportion. However, in order to avoid this in the future, I do think we need to start setting some policies. Uh, Brinson, Breach, one of you two, maybe both of you, need to make some sort of policy, right? Like, when is it okay to dap them up, love, before and after the coin toss? What are the circumstances so players know that going into games? Well, let's write that. I'm going to write a story about this, and we're getting it out there, but we need you as an you know, official former NFL player. Guy I'll consult player. at best. I'll consult on it. That's about it. Right. So my suggestion would be, so if you watch the videos of what happened, Baker came in, and look, I thought Sherman was a little icy to him as well. You could tell that. I think Sherman... I don't think Sherman was mad about any handshake or any non-handshake or, or, or dap gate or whatever it is. I think that Sherman dislikes Baker Mayfield's attitude in general, which is kind of ironic because Rich Sherman, you know, says whatever he wants. Um, and that he wanted to put this little <laughs> punk in his place and he was coming in already mad at him. He was trying to psych himself up beforehand, but he was going to pretend that he was willing to shake his hand. And then, and then Baker darted off right after, as soon as the, the coin flip ended, like you can see him, he ran away. Um, and, and as a result, Richard Sherman is more amped up about this. And he's using it as like an example of something that bugs him uh, instead of actually telling, um, you know, telling uh, Mike Silver what really happened. And he, you know, he later said like afterwards, he's like, look, we put a foot in his ass. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like that's, we, we took care of business and they That's did a, do it, Brady. They so did. When, they put when, a foot in his ass, literally. That's a yeah, big shoe. Yeah. I've got a different theory, though, okay? Okay. Because if you think about Richard Sherman, what he's best known for, besides being a great quarterback in the league, okay? You mad, bro? And and that was to Tom Brady, right? But he also it was it was the get my name out your mouth to Michael Crabtree, right? When he made the tremendous play in the end zone and Aaron Andrews was, was talking to him after the game. And he's like, you know, don't disrespect me. Get my name out your mouth. Whatever else he said from, from that point on, right? And she had followed up. It's like, who are you talking about? We didn't know. He created a story. He created like everything about, you know, him as a player and as a brand off the field from that moment, like from moments like that. And now you've got another moment where, you know, he's in a different spot. Things have been a little more, a little bit more quiet in that regard. And mm. now this team is thriving. And so why not capitalize on that sort of attention by creating a little bit more of a stir too, whether he's the villain, whether he's not in this case, either way, you know what it's good for? Marketing. Anytime you get attention like that, it's good for marketing. The team's in a good spot. He's playing really good this year. They got a great defensive front. I think he feels confident about this team moving forward, winning some football games, and this helping him off the field too, having these sort of little things that are going on in the media. And maybe too, does it, is like a third extension of that. Does it sort of send a message to everybody in the same way that the Legion of Boom did when they arrived? Because like, 
if you recall before that 2013 Super Bowl, you know, they beat the, the, the 49ers, the Seahawks did in the NFC championship game. The Crabtree, you know, Sherman you know, stops Crabtree from catching the would be touchdown pass from Colin Kaepernick. Sherman was on CNN. Like that for two weeks, it was nothing but Richard Sherman. Like everybody was flooding his podium at, at media day. It was insane. I mean, like he was the store and Peyton Manning had broken all these offensive records and Richard Sherman was the story at the Super Bowl. It was crazy. And it's like one of those where like you, anytime a sports person is on CNN, you know, they've transcended sort of that thing, but it was also their way of arriving. And so I sort of wonder, Breach, do you think this is his way of saying, Hey, we have arrived and this 49ers team is legit and it will sort of inspire his teammates as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw how much he loved to talk in Seattle. Brady just brought up an example from earlier. You just brought up an example from the Super Bowl. And how seething do you think Richard Sherman was playing last year on this crappy 49ers team? And you cannot talk trash if you play for a crappy team because you look like an idiot. So he's literally got a whole season of anger or whatever it is. Richard Shermanism's bottled up just waiting to get out. And boom, now they're 4-0, and he can create controversy wherever he wants, and no one can do anything because the 49ers are so good this year. He's a you. genius. Um, He's a flipping <laughs> genius. Did you say flipping? Flipping. Nice job. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about which terrible football team. We have uh, We have John Breach, Bengals fan. On, so we're going to talk terrible football teams. See, Breach, you can't make fun of me. I'm going to come at you with the Bengals. We'll talk, uh, we'll talk about which terrible football team is best set up for the future, as well as maybe discuss if the Cowboys should be worried about, uh, Sunday's action. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back. Bad football teams. It's bad football season. I got a theory, Brady, that – so if you watch Major League Baseball all this year, and I don't know that you're a baseball guy. Are you a baseball guy? I watch enough. 
Okay, okay, all right. Some people just don't like baseball, you know? Some people aren't I love playing it. It's just, it's hard to watch unless you're consuming a lot of beer. Well, that's why I like baseball. Uh, (laughs) Brenton is, are you a bigger beer drinker or baseball fan? But yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, at any rate, uh, so this year in baseball, I think it was, they set a record for most hundred win and most hundred lost teams. Like there's a extreme lack of parity in baseball. Part of it is, you know, just because we have a couple super teams and part of it is because all these teams are tanking. And I wonder, Brady, do you think we're sort of entering a year where we might see something similar in the NFL? The Dolphins, Broncos, we can include the Cardinals here, I guess, because they're, they won the, uh, Dolphins, Broncos, Bengals, Jets, Cardinals. These teams all kind of stink. Am I, am I forgetting? The Redskins are terrible too. Um, and, uh, they just fired their head coach after five weeks of football before they play the Dolphins and are favorites on the road. Do you think we're entering a season where we might see a, a more, an abnormally large group of really bad football teams? Uh, no, for this reason. I think if that starts to be a growing trend, what you're going to find out is there's going to be a group that goes through a, a really, really rough time um, dealing with the fact that they made a huge mistake. Uh, you cannot turn around franchises as fast in the NFL, at least consistently. Maybe you'll have an outlier year here or there, but you just can't do it as fast as you can in baseball uh, or in basketball, right? Basketball, a much more individual sport where sure. you can bring in a few free agents and then really change up the team based on that. Um, and, and you don't get those diamond star prospects all the time out of college. At least they were coming out of high school when it was LeBron James, people of that nature that could change the course of a franchise. But, you know, seldom do we see that definitively coming out of college. Um, even, and, and even at that level as, 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 you know, at basketball, when it, it is, can be a one-on-one sport at times, you know, baseball pitching, right? You, you get a couple of stud pitchers. You know, a few guys who can hit it out of the park, you could turn things around pretty quick. It's, it's entirely different because the NFL, you've got 11 players on both sides of the ball, and, and really it's the ultimate team sport where those guys, for the most part, have to consistently work in unison in order to make it work. And so, you know, you could go draft a quarterback, tank for Tua, so be it. Go get an edge rusher, great. Go get a running back, whoever else. You know, it, it doesn't mean you're going to be a, a competitive football team. You, know, you still have to have all those other pieces. So, for me... I was going to sneeze. I would agree with you in the sense that <laughs> I'm just going to talk while you Bless sneeze. you, Brady. No, yeah, no, I think, you. but I do think you're right. Like, like you have to have, remember the, the Saints had those, like, a terrible defense. They went seven to nine, three straight seasons. They still already had Drew Brees and they were losing, but they had that slam dunk draft class that sort of turned things around. Like, if you get a four or five prospect draft class, it might happen, but that's going to be pretty But even then, like, they, they, some of those pieces were already there. Like, they just kind of so, kept adding on it, adding on to it, adding on to it. And then everything started to work in their favor, like at least the last two years. So even then, like, I think it's a misnomer for like Camp Jordan was there. He was already there. Sean Rankins yeah. was there. You know, it took them getting, uh, Marshawn Lattimore. It took them getting Marcus Williams. It took them getting all these other pieces and even through free agency to be able to build to that. It's, it's not like it happened overnight. You know, I mean, and, and Drew Brees, like you said, he was already there. Michael Thomas was there. So that's the hard thing I think about the NFL. So if all these teams like the Dolphins, for example, if they think they're just going to be able to stink this season and then next year they can hit it off in the draft and they'll find their quarterback and they'll find all these other pieces and they're going to be competitive, they are dead wrong. It, it's a, and look at the Browns. Like the Browns thought it would be like a couple-year process. Hugh Jackson thought he'd survive this plan with Sashi Brown and Paul D. Podesta. 
no, dude, you're getting fired. You're not going to be able to survive because it's going to be a four or five year cycle before this team starts to really get competitive. Last year was year three into that thing. Now we're into year four and year five. They, they should then be one of the contending teams in the, in the AFC North. And we're seeing right now them still struggling to get there because their offensive line stinks. So for the Dolphins, like it's great if you want to take that approach or any of these other teams, but like Brian Flores, Chris Greer, you're not going to survive it. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to make it to see years four and five when this team can be in a much better position. Wow. So I guess that you would not pick the Dolphins as the team that is set up for the best for the future moving forward then. If I gave you Redskins, Dolphins, Bengals, and Jets, who I mean, is best set I, up? I, for the I would say the problem is with the Bengals, even though they have enough pieces to kind of be competitive, Rip they're also out, like – Rip his heart out. Rip his heart out. No, I'm just saying like they're also – you know, they could be moving on from this, you know, head coach based on how bad this team looks with some of the pieces that they, that they do have. And then if you're going to all of a sudden tear it down, like they'd be at the beginning part process of that. So I would think the Bengals to me look the worst. They're in a bad spot. You could even say the Broncos could be in that position because if they really want to be honest out in Denver and this team will be more competitive down the stretch. Don't get me wrong. I think Denver's going to win more football games. They're not going to be one of the worst teams. But you've got an old aging quarterback in Joe Flacco who, who, you know, is, is at the end of his career. Drew Locke doesn't look like he's going to be able to take over anytime soon. There's rumors that they'd maybe, if they, if they are looking at trying to build back with Bradley Chubb now being on IR, that maybe you're looking at trading Von Miller or some of your other pieces. Like, if that's the case, then again, you're, again, you're at the beginning of a rebuild. And if you're going to rebuild, you might be even saying to yourself, do we even trust John Elway to be a part of this moving forward? So I would say you can make the case that, the Dolphins and Bang, or excuse me, the Broncos and Bengals are actually the worst set up because, like, they're they're not even to that point where they have a plan. At least Miami has a plan for the future. They're loading up on draft picks and they think they're going to take on this strategy for the next couple of years. It, the question becomes: Will Stephen Ross be patient enough to let those guys, Brian Flores and Chris Greer, see this thing through for them to be able to be competitive? Uh, the only thing I will say to defend the Bengals real quick. Um, <laughs> Is, is that they do, I feel like they're at, if you look at just the winless teams, so the Bengals, the Jets, the Redskins, the Dolphins, I would say out of those four, maybe you could argue the Bengals are in the best spot, but they have to decide what they want to do. They have to decide if they want to tear down, burn everything, and start over, or if they want to try and win with what they have. Because here's the thing, they're down two starting offensive linemen that haven't played this season that they thought they were going to have. Cordy Glenn and their first round pick, Jonah Williams. So, you know, any team that's losing two starting offensive linemen going into the year is going to struggle. They have weapons in John Ross, Tyler Boyd, AJ Green hasn't played all. So there are talented players on their offense. They're just either injured. Ross is out. AJ Green hasn't played a single snap. And so the Bengals can sit there and say, well, if all these guys were healthy, we could be good. And that would be their argument for holding on to that offense, offensive nucleus. Or they say, you know what? We ran the gamut with Andy Dalton and A.J. Green. They've been here since 2011. Let's get rid of them both. Let's try and trade A.J. Let's try and trade Andy. And, and let's move with this offensive line that should be good next year if everyone's healthy. And Tyra Boyd and John Ross maybe throw in one more playmaker. And all of a sudden, you have a decent offense, and you can start rebuilding that defense with those draft picks you presumably could get for trading A.J. Green or Andy Dalton. So uh, I think out of the winless teams that the Bengals could potentially – be the best setup for success, but it's not like, you know, they're not winning the Super Bowl next year. Yeah, they're probably not going to win the Super Bowl next year. Um, <laughs> I, I tend to think that when we look at teams that are in these bad spots, that we overlook the importance of organizational um, functionality and structure. Like, 
To stability. me, I don't care who your quarterback is in Washington, as long as you have Bruce Allen running things under the guise of doing what Dan Snyder wants, basically being like the guy who delivers the message for Dan Snyder, but also is like, I mean, there's so, it's so manipulative up there. Like you hear him, he's like, like, he's like, we got a great locker room culture. It's like, no, you don't dude. Like I'm not in that locker room and I can tell you the the, the culture is not good. He says, we got a talent to win here. Like, what are you talking about? Um, you know, Bill, Bill Callahan is going to come in and run Adrian Peterson a bunch in Miami. The, the Redskins are lying to themselves and lying to the public about the organizational functionality. It is a complete dysfunction there. There have been seven head coaches since Dan Snyder arrived that have been uh, either uh, you know, fired or uh, resigned, as Steve Spurrier and Joe, Joe Gibbs did, in order to avoid being fired. And I just have a hard time, Brady, believing that the Redskins can get anything going um, in this situation. I know you, you've done – you have had an interim coach, right? In the Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, how, what's, how do these guys respond this week and how do they respond over the course of the season? They don't. I mean, usually when you have an interim head coach, you know there's going to be change the next year. So uh, players really start looking out for themselves. Um, they're they're more concerned about where they're going to be next year, who's the potential next candidate. You know, do you fit? You know what they're looking for um, scheme wise. That obviously plays a little bit of a role more so in the past than, than now. I think the good coaches that come in now will be more flexible uh, with how they wor- you know work with you and try to work to your strengths, especially if you're a guy's going to be under contract for some years. Um, and then the coaches really are, are kind of like looking out for, all right, what's going to happen in the future, right? Like, where am I going to be? Am I going to be a part of this staff? I'm under contract for another year or two. Uh, but if the next guy comes in, you know, they're probably going to buy me out or let me out of my contract. So, um, you know, the, that, that's basically what happens. It's, you know, survival mode basically for both players and, and even some of the coaches. The thing I was just going to say and speak on with the Washington Redskins organization is, you know, people will confuse the fact that you have good character guys and players as good culture. That's not mm. the same thing for an organization, right? Like Jonathan Allen's a good player, good, good guy, good, you know, a good piece to have on any team. Uh, there's a number of guys on that team that I think fall into that category. I think actually they have a lot of them, but the problem is Bruce Allen thinks that's what speaks for their organization. And that's just not the truth. Look, since Daniel Snyder bought this team and took over, they've been a losing team. Since Bruce Allen joined Daniel Snyder, they've been a losing team. Unfortunately, they have just not been able to provide any sort of stability for the coach, for any quarterback that they've brought there, and allowed them to be competitive. I actually thought Jay Gruden did a hell of a job as a head coach yep. managing what could be considered as a circus. And I'll tell a quick story because this is my only uh, time really around Daniel Snyder to give you any idea of why I think it's dysfunctional. So with the Combine... I didn't do anything. I tore my PCL coming out of the Sugar Bowl. I was trying to wait for my pro day to, to try to be as 100% or close to it as possible to do everything. So um, we had this scout who leads around your group of, of, of players or quarterbacks in this case, sure. and he was from Denver. So through he said, the tunnels? Yeah, through the tunnels and everywhere else and all that. I've been and there. So through boots he, on the ground? Come on, he, he said to me, um, you know, hey, look, you know, I know you're not doing this or that, but I bet you could put up a big number in bench press or whatever. And I was like, yeah, but it's not worth the risk and all that. And I don't think I want to do it. He's like, well, yeah, you know, Jay, Jay won it last year for us. Like people thought that was pretty cool. He's like, I mean, unless you don't want to compete or do it. And then I kind of looked at him. I'm like, come on, man. Like, like <laughs> you, you, I, now you're sort of kind of challenging me, like picking me a little bit. No quarterbacks were doing it. Um, so I, I called my agent, Tom Condon. He's like, Braid, nope, probably be a bad idea. You know, got your pro day coming up. Don't want to do that. And then I called, uh, Charlie <laughs> Weiss and, and Charlie Weiss was like, 
he had some more colorful language. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, basically cussed me out and told me how stupid I was. So, um, like any meathead, I, I felt challenged and I, my adrenaline was going. I'm like, you know what? Like, screw this guy. Like, I'm going to go ahead and prove him wrong. So I went in, bench press, you know, beat Cutler's number. And, um, I, I ended up telling the story to the Redskins coaching staff. They had me in there. Um, I think it was, um, the Redskins and they might have shared the room. Sometimes they share the room, uh, with, with other coaching staffs and all that. And at the time it was with Joe Gibbs, which by the way, I verbatim to your point earlier about when you quote someone, you can say certain things. I verbatim quoted what Charlie said to me on the phone and you should have seen Joe Gibbs go. He literally jumped back because he was so taken back by what Charlie had said or how he said it. Yeah, he's so, a good Southern Christian man and he doesn't swear much. He, he is. So he was very taken back by that. And uh, I obviously like had to apologize. But apparently it was funny or entertaining enough to them that Dan Schneider wanted to fly me out to have me visit, even though they had Mark Brunel and Jason Campbell, who they drafted in the first round. They're a quarterback. And so I, I kind of went into that meeting thinking, like, there's not drafting a quarterback. They're probably going to take a safety, which they did, Laurent Landry from LSU. Um, and, and I spent time with Al Saunders, spent time with Greg Williams, who I loved, like had a great conversation with him. And then I basically told the story to Daniel Snyder. He laughed, talked small talk a little bit, and then I left. And that was the end of it. Like, it was they essentially wasted a visit on a player. I, I don't know. I'm not sure if it was just to, to hear the story. story. Apparently, like I, I don't really know what the point was. Like I don't even think they were in the market for a quarterback. So it was just the whole thing was bizarre to me, and that was really, like my really only impression or time with Daniel Snyder. That is so weird. What a weird and, thing. The and, best and, was when I was walking in. Brunel, he was in the uh, fitness room on the treadmill, and he was running, and he was like, "No, go, get out of here." He's like, "Don't." Don't come up here. I mean, he, he was really cool. He's a funny guy. Um, but it was just kind of funny, like, kind of seeing that interact or having that interaction. That is funny. I mean, That's- that sounds like something Daniel Snyder would do is, you know, what? I'm going to take this quarterback because he's the best bench pressing quarterback. I don't care about anything else. Yeah, it's like the reverse, like, Al Davis thing or something like that. All right, very quickly. It, it was more weird. He just wanted to, he like, yeah, this is my team. I, I want to hear this story. I'm going to hear it firsthand. I'm going to fly the guy in. I don't think he had any, he had no desire whatsoever to take a quarterback. Like, they were good. They were fine. He just wanted to hear the story firsthand. Uh, all right, Breach, give me, we're going to get, I mentioned the Cowboys. You don't want to tease something and not get to it. So very quickly, uh, cause Breach has to go do a sports line hit. John, on a scale of one to 10, what's your panic level for the Cowboys after seeing them get manhandled by the Green Bay Packers? And Brady, uh, I, w- I will just say real quick, it is a six. It's high enough that I'm actually concerned because they've played two good teams and they looked pretty bad in both games. Their offense looked horrible against the Saints. Dak Prescott looked horrible against the Packers, and both the Saints and the Packers' defenses absolutely manhandled them, and that is something that I don't know that can be fixed. They're the Kirk Cousins of teams right now. They cannot beat good teams, so I am a six concern. I'm about at a, at a six, five and a half, maybe. Um, look, Zeke's not getting the ball enough. Game flow probably predicted some of that last week with Green Bay, uh, but I also think that might be a little bit of an indication of Kellen Moore like in-game losing sight of what he should be focusing on at that point in time. Um, and remember, I mean, he's calling the plays now. He's got Kitna there. He's got Nussmeyer, obviously Jason Garrett as well. But, um, you know, he's in charge of calling the plays at least at this point. So you have to wonder, too, if there's um, going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him as he, he kind of steps into a, a big-time realm in calling some of the plays. Uh, that's one thing that kind of stands out. And then also, you know, the defense. You know, how good is this defense? It seemed like Green Bay kind of did what they wanted without their best wide receiver uh, that'd be 
kind of concerning to me, especially because this offensive line hadn't played great, but they looked a heck of a lot better versus the Dallas Cowboys. That's supposed to be a good front. By the way, the uh, the Saints reportedly, uh, according to Steve Weiss of NFL Network, some Saints players told him that um, they went back and looked at Kellen Moore's uh, time at Boise State when he was the quarterback and that the hand signals that he uses on the sidelines of the Cowboys, that's a problem, right? Yeah, but so is, I mean, people people will make a lot of that. And like some of the verbiage that you'll hear that Tom Brady uses in New England was the exact same thing I was using when Charlie Weiss came to be our head coach at Notre Dame. They still yeah, well. use some of that. And so, you know, you can, you can try to think that you're going to rely on that. But the bottom line is the game happens so fast when you're out there on the field. Those guys are just making sure they're getting lined up. They're trying to look for certain keys or tendencies in your formation or personnel who's out in the field. And will they listen to some of your calls? Sure. But all you have to do is put in a dummy call or put in something that forces them to maybe jump off sides or think you're doing something when you're not. And then they second guess everything they know from then on out. So, um, that, that's, that's kind of how that game works, how that world works. Like Peyton used to be overly, you know, anal about making sure he watched the TV copies. So he'd always be changing up his code words every single week. So defenses wouldn't get a jump. Like, I'm sorry. I just think you're giving them too much credit for that. These guys play defense for a reason. They can't memorize an offensive playbook, and they don't have probably great hand-eye coordination. Uh, but, you know, you could probably tell them what play you're running. They might still be like, yeah, I don't know what that is, unless they're a, a pretty savvy vet, which there are some of those out there. But still, I, I think we give the defense too much credit sometimes as quarterbacks. Fun fact. My dummy calls for my flag football team that I quarterback, Brady, Brady, breach, breach, pick six, pick six. And then I get out of there. And uh, we got to get out of here. Great show. Watch it on YouTube.com slash CBS Sports. Hit the video button. Look for the green, uh, the little green logo, and you can watch me, Brady, and Breach break it down. Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, great show, guys. Talk to you guys next week. See you Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.